Becoming a Christian is so much more than simply adding Jesus to the mix of your life or becoming a better person. To become a Christian is to become a new creation in Christ and to receive a new calling in life. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free gospel-centered resources at our website, Radical.net. And as David Platt points out in today's sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, this is all based on God's gracious and powerful work in and through us. As ambassadors for Christ, each of us is challenged to ask the question, how does God want me to use my life for the spread of his gospel in the world? So here's David with a sermon titled, New Creation, New Calling from 2 Corinthians. If you have the word of God, and I hope you or somebody around you does, that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, feel free to use table of contents if you need to, to find 2 Corinthians 5. And as you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Montgomery County and Loudoun Prince William. It's good to be together across Washington around God's Word. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so I want to dive right in. I have high expectations for what is going to happen in the next few minutes. I am hoping and praying that many people in this room and other campuses will experience new life in the next few minutes. I'm hoping and praying that others, just a few minutes from now, will find themselves doing what literally hundreds of people have done over the last month here, putting on one of these shirts and celebrating new life in Jesus by being baptized. And then finally, I'm hoping and praying that today and next week, God might alter the trajectory of many lives in a way that will lead to the spread of the gospel far from where we are sitting right now. So I don't presume I can make all these things happen. Only God can. So, uh, so let, me, let me pray before we read this word. Oh God, please do what only you can do in these next few minutes. Please speak supernaturally to every single heart in this room and other campuses. And please give us courage and humility to do whatever you are calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is the word of God, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So over the last few weeks, we have been looking at key verses that in many ways summarize the Christian life, and this is another one. So I want to show you two realities for every follower of Jesus, and you can follow along in those notes that hopefully you received when you came in on the back of the bulletin. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, which I know many people every week are visiting with family members or friends, or maybe you've come on your own, we're so glad you're here. I am particularly glad you're here today. I don't believe it's an accident that you're here today because this passage in the Bible gives a powerful picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And today I want to invite you to make a decision to follow him and to experience these realities. So first reality for every follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. Verse 17, our memory verse in our Bible reading plan this week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what does that mean? And the reality is there's a thousand things that means, which is why I have close to that many things listed there in the notes. But let me summarize what the Bible is saying here. We have all, every one of us, sinned against God. In this room and other campuses, we've all turned from God's ways to our own ways. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. And if we die in this state of separation from God, we will spend eternity separated from God. But God loves us and God has done the unthinkable. Though we deserve death and eternal separation from God, God has come to us in the person of Jesus, God in the flesh. And Jesus has lived a perfect life with no sin in him. And then even though he had no sin to die for, Jesus chose to die on a cross for our sin, to pay the price you and I deserve for our sin. And then Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin so that anyone, anywhere, no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, you can be forgiven of all your sin and reconciled into a relationship with God forever. That's what the Bible just said. In verse 18, God, through Christ, has reconciled us to himself. Verse 19, when we trust in Jesus, God no longer counts our trespasses, our sins against us. Verse 21, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now you start to see what it means to be a new creation. When you put your faith in Jesus, you go from being guilty of trespasses to being forgiven of trespasses. You go from being separated from God to being reconciled to God. And this changes everything. 
Because now that you've been reconciled to relationship with God, you experience an entirely new life. And what I've done in your notes there is I just went through just the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians leading up to this point, and I just listed all the things that are new about you when you put your faith in Jesus and are reconciled to God in just this small part of the Bible. So we obviously don't have time to look at all these in depth. There's a sermon in every single one of them. But I just want you to feel what it means to be a new creation. When you place your faith in Jesus, you have a new identity. Like You are no longer defined by your sin. You are now defined by God's grace. You have new peace, new comfort, new strength, new hope, new help, new promises to bank your life on. You have an altogether new spirit, new joy, a new aroma. And that sounds a little weird without some context. It's not talking about body odor here. So you still wear deodorant. But 2 Corinthians 2 talks about how the fragrance of Jesus' character is now a part of you, reflected in you. You're an entirely new person with new glory, new righteousness, new boldness. You're no longer separated from God, like afraid of God. You now boldly come before God as his son or daughter. You have new freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from addiction, freedom from bondage to yourself, freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety. New freedom, new sight. You see what you were formerly blind to. You have new confidence, new life, new faith, new speech, new grace, new heart, a new future. You have a new home in heaven and a new guarantee for eternity. I was actually reading 2 Corinthians 5 this last week. Just so happened to be reading that chapter on what was my dad's birthday. My dad, who I loved deeply and who died suddenly of a heart attack years ago, but because he had trusted in Jesus, he knew that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Based on faith in Jesus, he is in heaven now. Do you know that guarantee? Like, do you know that if you were to die unexpectedly on the way home today, which any of us could, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will go to heaven? When you put your faith in Jesus, follow him, you have a new guarantee for eternity. And as a result, you have new courage, a new aim in life, new motivation for life, a new perspective about life. I hope you get the point. When you put your trust in Jesus, you become an entirely new person. I want to show you a picture of how these words on a page uh, become a reality in somebody's life. So I want to introduce you to Holly Dooley, and I just want you to hear, as Holly joins me up here, not just here, but see this reality in her life, to see how followers of Jesus become new creations. So would you welcome Holly with me? Good morning, church family. My name is Holly. So I've been notified that I have between five and seven minutes before David will um, push me off the stage. I, will, I would never push Holly Dooley off. I'm I would never push kidding. anybody, but especially Holly kind of. Dooley off stage. Uh, anyway, so here's the setup. I'm going to be sharing with you seven milestones from my life, um, and they'll have a corresponding verse with them. And even though it's a story of my life, it truly is a testimony of God's grace. So <laughs> milestone one. Your eyes saw my unformed body 
all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, 16. So I was born April 21st, 1992, and my birth name was Colleen Cara Dooley. Uh, the summary of my childhood is that my mother's side was Catholic, my dad's side was Buddhist, and I was raised by a Muslim woman. Um, so there was a lot of religion, but not a lot of relationship. There's no relationship with God. And uh, this is me and my grandparents. I really love that bathing suit, by the way. It's two fish kissing. Um, and then uh, I chose this verse because I'm just so comforted to know that God is sovereign, sovereign over all the days of our lives. Milestone two. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah 53, six. So I actually remember the exact day I decided that I no longer wanted to have anything to do with God. Um, and just like this verse says, I, I strayed away from God. Milestone three. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James 4.4. 4. So in high school uh, is when I really started to get more involved in the party scene. Uh, I lived a very selfish, self-centered life, and I was very consumed by my image, my possessions, my popularity, uh, others people's, other people's opinions of me. Um, and there was no room for God, and I did not care. As this verse says, I befriended the world. Milestone four. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Job 10.1. So this is a picture of um, the University of Colorado at Boulder. It was a very dark time in my life. Um, I was a freshman in college and something very traumatic happened to me that left me feeling dirty um, and I thought that no one would ever want me. I really wanted to commit suicide, and Satan would have loved for that to have been the end, but God had a different plan. As a result of that happening, I went to church and heard the gospel for the first time. After that year, I transferred to Virginia Tech, and milestone five. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Galatians 4.8. So even though I had heard the gospel, my heart was very hard towards God still. I'd said, if you're good, why didn't you protect me? Why did that happen? Um, and I, at Tech, pursued the world even harder. I became a complete slave to uh, this idea that I could be perfect. Uh, I dyed my hair. Uh, I worked out twice a day. Sometimes I would run eight miles. Sometimes I would run 11 miles. But I would have a banana for breakfast and a banana for lunch. Um, and I may have been smiling on the outside, but I was dead on the inside. If I, I always thought, like, if I get that, then I'll be happy. If I look like this, then I'll be happy. If I have that relationship, that success, that body, then I'll be happy. But it was always a disappointment and a disillusionment. I still felt empty and alone and tired, tired of running, but also tired of running my, my life into the ground. Sin always promises more than it actually gives. And sin says, I don't need God or his ways. I can run life on my own. Thank you very much. So one day I decided to go to a church nearby my campus, and I wept the whole time hearing about God's love for us. I spoke to the pastor, and he said to me that I needed a relationship with Jesus. And I told him he needed a head check. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't actually say that. I'm not a barbarian. Um, but... <laughs> He gave me the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. 
And I learned through that book that we can have a personal relationship with the living God and forgiveness of all of our sins by trusting in Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Milestone six. So I dyed my hair. Um, this is a picture of me after I became a Christian. I changed my hair back to my original color that the Lord gave me. And I changed my name to Holly. So uh, the reason I did that was because, you know, Saul of Tarsus encounters Jesus, and he's a new man, and he goes by Paul. Um, but if you ever want to make your family think you're crazy, just go ahead and change your first name. <laughs> Milestone seven is... So, uh, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 1 Peter 1.8. So, this is a picture that you, uh, of a game called High Striker you'd see at a carnival. Basically, the, the gist is you have a mallet. You hit the lever as hard as you can. If you hit it hard, hard enough, it'll ring the bell. And this is a perfect analogy of what it is like to know Jesus. Jesus is the jackpot. There's some really great experiences that you can have, but nothing nothing compares to knowing, following, and surrendering to Jesus. Um, we are tempted every day to get distracted by our circumstances and forget the goodness of our God, who gives us forgiveness of sins, His Holy Spirit, the promise of heaven, and He is the only one who can give us a second chance and make us a new creation. Thank you. Will you pray with me? God, we praise you for your grace and your love in Holly's life. We praise you for making her a new creation. And we praise you for that reality in so many lives represented in this room and other campuses right now. And God, we pray, we pray that you would make this a reality for more lives today. You would bring about new creations today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Holly. <laughs> Holly is a new creation. Like, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, like today can be the day where you begin, celebrate a new start, like hit the jackpot. A start that will last for all of eternity. Now here's why I wanted Holly in particular to share. Because her life not only illustrates this first reality, it also illustrates the second reality. Because Holly has not only been changed by God's love for her in Christ, she is zealous to share God's love for others in Christ. So Holly goes all over the city, everywhere she goes, telling people about Jesus. Like if you encounter Holly, you are going to hear about Jesus. And it's because she gets this second reality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation and you have a new calling. You have not only been reconciled to God, you want others to be reconciled to God. You know where the jackpot is. 
And you want others to experience him. Do you see it in verse 18 here in 2 Corinthians 5? God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, in Christ, God was not just reconciling us to himself, God was reconciling the world to himself, which means, verse 20, that we who have been reconciled to God are now, look at this, our new identity, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. What an image, like a representative of another country who speaks on behalf of the king of that country. We are making an appeal to everyone in this world. We are imploring everyone in this world, be reconciled to God. So here's the new calling for the new creation. God has called every follower of Jesus to live for the spread of the gospel, the good news of God's reconciliation through Jesus throughout the world. In other words, God has called every follower of Jesus to live, to see more disciples made, more churches multiplied in all nations throughout all the world. This is our new identity. We are global ambassadors for Christ, which means the global cause of Christ dictates everything the Christian thinks, desires, and does. The global, worldwide cause of Christ, make disciples of all the nations, spread the good news of God's reconciliation all over the world. This is now what drives the Christian. The global cause of Christ drives the way we pray, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our lives. Oh, this is so significant and so missed. So many professing Christians are content to be reconciled to God in Christ, but have missed what it means to now be an ambassador for Christ in the world. Like inviting, living, to implore people to be reconciled to God throughout the world. It's what a Christian is. So members of McLean Bible Church, every follower of Jesus in this room, at other campuses, as new creations, as men and women who have been reconciled to God in Jesus, we live for the world to be reconciled to God in Jesus. This is why we talk about not just reaching Metro Washington, D.C., but all nations, because this is the way God talks. This is why we don't say around NBC, why do we always talk about global mission? Because the answer is obvious. We talk about global mission because God talks about global mission. God's entire goal in history Read the end of the book, a little spoiler alert. It's all headed toward men and women from every nation, tribe and tongue, gather around his throne, reconciled to himself. If that's God's goal, then that's our goal. If it is not your goal as a Christian to reach all the nations, and it is God's goal to reach all the nations, well, then I would just ask the question, whose goal needs to change? God wants the world. 
So we want the world. You say, wait a minute, David. Are you saying that all Christians are supposed to move to other nations to share the gospel? And well, I'm not even going to answer that question because it really doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what God says. So does God say that all Christians are supposed to move to other nations to share the gospel? And I want to show you that while God has called every follower of Jesus to live for the spread of the gospel throughout the world, for every one of us to live, to see disciples made and churches multiplied among all the nations, to let that goal dictate everything in our lives, everything we think, desire, and do. God has called some followers of Jesus to move for the spread of the gospel to unreached peoples and places in the world. In other words, to make disciples and multiply churches where the gospel has not yet gone among groups of people and places that are not yet reached by the gospel. Now, you ask, where, where do you get that in 2 Corinthians 5? And this is where I want you to see why we have 2 Corinthians 5. So hold your place here and turn with me back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And I want to show you some important context. So just a couple books back. You go to the left, you'll get 1 Corinthians, then Romans, then Acts. Acts chapter 13. I want to show you some context behind what we're reading in 2 Corinthians. So why is Paul writing this letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And in order to answer that question, we need to go back a few years in time to when there was no church in Corinth. And the gospel, the good news of God's reconciliation in Christ, had not yet come to Corinth. So read with me the story of what happened in a worship service one day in a church in Antioch. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers at Names them Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so follow this, while they're worshiping, fasting, the Spirit of God says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out from the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So pause there, make sure we got the picture. One day, when the church was worshiping, fasting, praying together, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart two people, Saul and Barnabas, to leave Antioch and take the gospel to places it has not yet gone. Notice the Holy Spirit didn't say, set apart everybody in Antioch to take the gospel where it's not yet gone. The Holy Spirit said, set apart these two people. And they did. The church laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them out for a specific purpose, to spread the gospel to people and places it had not yet gone. And that's exactly what they did. Let me show you some maps up here on the screen. So this first one, if you look all the way over to the right, you'll see Antioch on the far right portion where these arrows kind of come together. That's Acts 13, Antioch. What happened is they sent out Saul and Barnabas. These kind of pinkish, reddish arrows coming out from Antioch represent their journey out. So they went to Cyprus, what Acts chapter 13, verse four just said, this island, and they went north 
into Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and in all these places, there were hardly any, if any, Christians at all. And what they did in each town is they shared the gospel, people came to faith in Christ, and they gathered those people together in churches. So disciples were made and churches were planted in each of these places. And you'll notice so that the purple arrows show them coming back. So they begin retracing their steps, strengthening these different churches as they come back. And you'll notice they come back to Antioch, kind of like home base. And they tell the church at Antioch all the things that God has been doing in places where the gospel had not yet gone. That's known as the first missionary journey of Paul. That then sets the stage for journey number two. Look at this next map with me. Antioch, again, is way over here on the right. And you'll notice he goes north and he goes into the places that he's already been before. This time he goes with Silas and they pick up Timothy along the way. And so they're going to those same places, not breaking new ground, but then in Acts chapter 16, verse eight through 10, Paul receives a vision from a man of Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so they conclude, we need to go and take the gospel to these places where it's not yet gone. So they travel to places that you might recognize from the Bible. Philippi, Thessalonica, Philippians, Thessalonians. And then they come down here to Athens and then to what city? Corinth. There were no Christians, no churches in Corinth until Paul those who were with them got there and they shared the gospel. People came to faith in Jesus and they gathered together as a church in Corinth. And then he left them. He goes over to Ephesus, Ephesians, then down to Jerusalem. Then he makes his way back to Antioch. It's a second missionary journey. That leads, that leads to trip number three. Again, Paul goes out from Antioch and you'll notice at this point, he is retracing all the steps into places where he has shared the gospel. And this is why we have this letter to the church at Corinth, because he had led people to Christ, gathered together in a church, and now he is encouraging them through a couple of different letters. Now, my point in showing you these maps is to show you that the whole reason we have this book in the Bible today, 2 Corinthians along with 1 Corinthians, is because God sent out some followers of Jesus to take the gospel where it had not yet gone. And these kinds of people are what we commonly call missionaries. Now, as soon as I say that word, all kinds of images might come into your mind. And I just want to encourage you to put those images out of your mind because I want you to see this picture when you hear the word missionary. It's in your notes there. And missionaries are followers of Jesus. Just go right with what we just read in Acts 13. Set apart by the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit says, I'm setting you apart, sent out from the church. So the church sends them out to cross geographic, linguistic, and or cultural barriers to go to new places, new groups of people for the spread of the gospel among unreached peoples and places. So really to make this even more simple, missionaries, like we just saw in Acts 13, are Christians whom God calls to spread the gospel where there are no Christians and there are no churches. Now, you might think, Dave, thanks for the New Testament geography lesson. What does this have to do with us today? So what? In this room, at other campuses, here in Metro Washington, D.C.? Well, let's ask the question. Are there any unreached groups of people and places in our day? 
Are there any places in the world where the gospel has not yet gone and churches have not yet been planted, where there are few, if any, Christians at all? And the answer is yes. Actually, straight numbers-wise, there are far more unreached people in places today than there were 2,000 years ago. Today, estimates are there are over 2 billion people in the world who are classified as unreached by the gospel. Let me show you a map that depicts unreached people groups around the world today. I don't expect you to be able to read the bottom part, but just to give you kind of the key, the green represents places in the world where there is an established or significant presence of a church. Obviously, it does not mean that everybody is Christian in all of these places. We know that. But there are churches. There are disciples that have been made, churches have been planted in the places where there is green. Where there is yellow, that stands for a formative or more nominal church, so a weaker presence of church, but at least some presence. And the red stands for unreached or least reached people, places in the world where there are few, if any, Christians and churches relative to the population around them. Now again, realize, realize what we mean when we say unreached here. It doesn't just mean that people don't believe the gospel or that they're separated from God by their sin. Like if somebody's not trusted in Jesus, they're just as separated from God by their sin, whether they live in Washington, D.C. or in Turkey. But here's the difference. There is access to the gospel in Washington, D.C. By God's grace, there are churches filled with thousands of people in Washington, D.C. That's not the case in Turkey. Out of 80 million people in Turkey. You know how many Christians there are? Estimates are about 6,000. Which means there are more followers of Jesus gathering at McLean Bible Church today than there are in all of Turkey with 80 million people. They are unreached by the gospel. Most of those millions don't know a Christian, don't have a church where they can hear the gospel. And if that's the case, not just in Turkey, but in these places in the world, I'm just wondering if God is calling some of us to go to them just like he did in Acts chapter 13. If our church has thousands of new creations with a new calling, like all of us called to live for the global cause of Christ, that I'm guessing that God is calling some, maybe many of us, not all of us, it's not the picture we see in the Bible, but at least some, maybe many of us, to spread the gospel where it is not yet gone, to unreached people. And unreached is such a key word here. So we're not just talking about going somewhere else in the world. Did you know that 90 plus percent of missions sending and going and giving activity from U.S. churches is actually to reached places in the world? 
That when most American churches and Christians do or think missions, we're focusing on countries in Latin America, South America, Sub-Saharan Africa. And it's not that that's bad, but don't miss the problem. Like, we're patting ourselves in the back, doing all kinds of missions work, but we're not actually getting the gospel to places it hasn't gone. No matter how good it makes us feel, like two billion people still haven't even heard it. At some point, again, it's not that that's bad, but at some point, somebody needs to go here. And God is calling all of us as new creations either to go to them or to help others go to them, right? If this is the cause for which we live, then we say, God, is it me? Who is it? Knowing that God calls followers of Jesus to different places, and it's not a matter of who's a super committed Christian and who's not. So it's not that super committed Christians go here and less committed Christians stay here. That's not the picture. What matters is not where you live, but whether you are being open and obedient to the leadership of God's spirit in your life, my life. The reality is, for every Christian, God could call any of us to live anywhere in the world. Our lives are God's to spend however he wants, not however we plan. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I wonder how many of us are living that out. My God, my life, my family, yours to spend on this map, totally yours. Knowing that God calls followers of Jesus to different places for different periods of time. And I say this because Paul and Barnabas went out for a time, then they came back, then they went out again, and they came back, went out again. So this looks different for different people. God is calling many followers of Jesus in this church to go short-term to places where the gospel is not yet gone. And we have all kinds of opportunities as a church for you to be involved in taking a week or two out of your year to spread the gospel to other places in the world. Like Paul was like sailing around these places and took weeks and all kinds of, like we can get anywhere on this map in about 24 hours. <laughs> they can only imagine and dream of the kind of opportunities we have to make the gospel known among the nations today. So I would suggest it's a good way to spend PTO taking the gospel where it's never gone before. Or maybe, not just short term, but I'll call midterm, spending a couple of months or six months or a year or two years. I think about retirees. Think about others with jobs that might have flexibility to do this. I think about students. What a unique opportunity students have to take a summer, a semester, a year or two to go and work for the spread of the gospel where it hasn't gone. I think about Mormon families who expect their graduating senior daughter or son to spend a year somewhere else in the world. If they are that committed to spreading a false gospel that says you have to work to get to God, then what does that say about you and I who have the true gospel that says, by God's grace, he has made his way to us? Why are we not expecting graduating seniors or college students 
to spend at least a summer, if not a semester, year or two, in this unique window of life for the spread of the gospel in the world? Why are we actually, as Christian parents, discouraging that because of risks that might be involved in taking the gospel to people who haven't heard it? This is why we're creating a gap year program here, Lord willing, that will start next September for graduates from high school to come and spend a year here. Part of that time in an unreached part of the world, considering how the global cause of Christ should dictate where you go to school, what you study, who you marry, and a thousand other decisions you will make in your life. We're planning to do a summer internship like that for college and graduate students. And I pray that while they're here, a part of this church, they will be a part of a church that hearts, whose heart beats for this. Knowing that God calls followers of Jesus for different periods of time and God calls followers of Jesus through different vocations. And I want to emphasize this because I think that when many people hear the word missionary, you think of somebody who leaves their job, sells their possessions, and moves to another place to work full-time for the spread of the gospel. And God definitely calls some people to do that, but not all. Could it be that God is not just calling people to leave jobs, but God is calling people to leverage jobs. Remember Paul himself, who's writing this book, was a tent maker. He worked in many of those places he went to support himself financially through tent making as he was spreading the gospel in those places. So if God called Paul to use vocation in that way, I'm wondering how he might be calling some, many of us, to use vocations in similar ways. I look across this church and so many people have jobs and skills that will actually take you to these places in the world. So what if you intentionally explored and took those opportunities to go and work in places where the gospel is not yet gone? And I'm not just talking government jobs. I'm also talking teachers, engineers, nurses, all kinds of medical professionals. I was talking with someone a few weeks ago who was creating avenues for medical professionals to work in unreached places. And they have 2,000 jobs for nurses and doctors of all kinds ready to be filled right now in the Middle East by Christians who will take them. 2,000 jobs available right now for medical professionals to take in the Middle East. That same week, I was talking with another person about a school in an unreached country that is looking for 30 Christian teachers right now. I was talking last week with an executive who's expanding business into some of the hardest reached places in the world. He's looking for Christians who will go and work intentionally as a part of that business for the spread of the gospel. Are you getting the picture? Opportunities exist for the nations to pay you to spread the gospel to them. And that's not an accident. I ask you, what if God has designed the globalization of today's marketplace for the spread of his grace in the world because he wants to reconcile the world to himself? That's exactly what he's done. If we'll open our eyes and look at the world with a new lens, we'll look at the world through the lens of the high calling God has given us that maybe the default is not just to just stay focused on places in the world where the gospel has gone, but to think what are the unique ways I can be a part of spreading the gospel where it hasn't gone, then maybe God has given me a higher calling than just the American dream. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Starting today and over the course of this next week, I want to call us as a church to do Acts 13. I want to call us to worship and fast and pray this next week 
And I wanna ask one question of every follower of Jesus this week. And here's how I'll phrase the question. It's in your notes there. Is God calling you as a follower of Jesus to leave Metro Washington, D.C. for at least two months to spread his gospel among unreached peoples and places in the world? Now, before you come up with all the reasons why you think God is not calling you to this, wait, I can see the thought bubbles just rising around the room. Oh, this is gonna be a good question for them. So I'm putting myself out there, and I wanna call you to put yourself out here for every follower of Jesus to ask this question and wait for an answer. Just give it a week to ask God, you're calling me to leave this city for at least two months. So we're talking about more than a one week or two week trip somewhere else. So at least two months, maybe longer, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe many years, maybe permanent as far as you know. To spread his gospel among unreached peoples and places. So not to go to a place there where there are Christians and churches. God may call you to that. But what we're talking about here is going to a place with very few, if any, Christians or churches. And over the course of this week, I wanna challenge every follower of Jesus to honestly ask this question. Every individual, every couple, every family, every day just ask God, God, are you calling me, us to go? And just see what's going on in your heart as you ask that question. And here's what we're gonna do. Much like we read in Acts 13, I wanna challenge us to fast at least one day this week. Specifically, if possible, I wanna encourage us to fast this Friday. So put aside food, ideally for the day. If you can't do the day, just a meal. And instead of eating, to say, God, more than I want breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I wanna follow your calling in my life and I wanna see the world reconciled to you. Like, it's so much more important to me than anything in this world, including my daily bread. So I'm asking, are you calling me or my family to move to the unreached? Then Friday night, we're gonna gather in this room for another late night prayer from eight to midnight. So I wanna invite as many of you as can from other campuses to come to this room at Tyson's where we'll gather as one church to worship and pray for the spread of the gospel around Washington, D.C. Like, yes, yes, like I spoke at a, shouldn't hit the TV, but uh, I spoke like this weekend it's Friday night, talking about the need for more churches in Washington, D.C., planting churches here. We're talking about that all the time. Yes, there, so this is not either or. Yes, we want the gospel to spread here and the world. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray together on Friday night, and then all of this will lead to next Sunday when, Lord willing, we'll come back together. We're gonna worship, and I'm just gonna ask this. Who believes God may be leading them to do this? And I say may, because for anybody who says, a week from now, I think God may be leading me, calling me to this, next Sunday we'll begin a process by which we begin to do what they did in Acts 13. We begin to discern with you if God is indeed leading you in this way and what that might look like. If it's something that might happen soon or maybe a while from now. But next week will be a marker for starting that process. 
So that's where it's all headed towards. The plan, just to make sure we're clear, this week I'm challenging every follower of Jesus to pray, if possible, fast, and ask God, are you calling me or my family to move to the unreached for a period of time? I wanna invite you to come to late night prayer on Friday if you can, and then don't miss next Sunday. Do not sleep in next Sunday. Come back next week with an open heart ready to follow the Spirit's leadership to this question. So that's next week. For today, I wanna close with three questions for every person that will affect that question next week. And I wanna ask these questions of every single person in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, every single person at other campuses. So let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me, because I just... I want you to be able to focus just between you and God right now. And no distractions, there's nothing else to write down. But I wanna ask you these three questions. Number one, right where you are sitting right now, are you a new creation? Has what happened to Holly happened to you? To these words that we've seen, a new identity, a new spirit, new hope, new joy, new freedom, a new future, a new home in heaven. Do those words describe you? Do you, right where you're sitting right now, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you were to die unexpectedly today, that you would go to heaven? Do you know that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus? And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, and I want to invite you, implore you right now to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not later, but today. If God is speaking to your heart right now, you want to be reconciled to him, then I want to invite you just to pray in your heart right now, just to say to God, Dear God, I know I've sinned against you, and I know I'm separated from you, but today I want to trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to remove my sin and to reconcile me to you. Please make me a new creation, God. Please give me a new identity. Please give me a new future with you forever. If you just prayed that to God, I want to invite you to do something with every head bowed and eye closed. I just want to invite you. If you just prayed that to God, would you just lift up your hand just quietly before God right where you're sitting is a picture of you saying, today I am receiving reconciliation to God through Christ. Amen. Others here at other campuses. Oh God, you see these hands, all glory be to your name for reconciling people to yourself right now make new creations and pray that you would give them the courage to take this next step along with others who have not taken this next step. So that leads to the second question I want to ask every person right where you're sitting, have you publicly celebrated new life in Jesus? Have you been baptized as a public celebration of becoming a new creation? So baptism is, it's publicly saying, I'm a new creation, old is gone, new has come. 
Over the last few weeks, hundreds of people have done this at NBC. If you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, either because you are just now trusting in Jesus today, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've never taken this step since becoming a follower of Jesus. Maybe you were even baptized as a baby. And today is the day to say, of my own volition, I publicly celebrate new life in Christ. Whatever your circumstances, if you have never, of your own volition, publicly celebrated new life in Jesus through baptism, I want to invite you to do that today. We have everything you need. Shirts, shorts, towels, everything. The only question that remains is, are you willing to be publicly identified with Jesus? And as soon as I pray, I or other campus pastors will share how you can do that today. And the final question I want to ask is, every person in this room, are you really willing to go wherever God calls you to go? For everyone who's a new creation with a new calling on your life, even for those who are just now trusting in Christ today, before we go into this next week, I want to ask you, are you really willing to go wherever God calls you to go? And I use that word really because this question really hits at what it means to be a Christian. Is Christ your life? Such that you will do whatever he calls you to do. And it's one thing to say that generally, but it's a whole other thing to say to God specifically, I'm willing to go to Turkey or Afghanistan or the Middle East. Whatever you want, God, just say the word. So God, I pray that you would give all of us, including myself, this kind of surrender to you today and this week. Lord, I put my life, my family on the table before you today. This week, and we do the same just all across this room and other campuses, and we pray that you would set some, maybe many of us, apart this week for the spread of the gospel where it is not yet gone. God, we ask you to do what you did in Acts 13 among us this week. Please set apart, send us out from here so the gospel may be made known far from here. God, please help us all to live for your global cause and please use McLean Bible Church to reconcile more and more people in Washington and people in the world to yourself. We pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you joined us today on the Radical with David Platt podcast. If you're interested in more resources on similar topics as today's sermon, like evangelism and making disciples, regeneration and new birth, or your identity in Christ, you can find those and more at our website, radical.net. You can even download the audio, video, or the discussion questions that accompany each sermon. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at radical.net.